All right, Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders here, just getting over bronchitis. So unfortunately, my voice is probably going to sound a little bit weird, but I didn't want to skip out. I've got a good streak going with the podcast, so here I am. I'm going to try to pull through and haven't quite had my morning coffee yet, so this should be a fun one. But I usually try to do these when Billy runs out to the store because usually it's nice and quiet around here and I feel kind of silly talking to myself in the living room while she's out there. So anyway, here we go. For this one, we're going to talk about something that's popped up quite a bit. Uh, in the past, and I actually did an article on my website, Tarantula Controversies, which is, is keeping tarantulas in captivity wrong? And the reason why I bring this one up is I think a lot of us, especially if you're public with your tarantula collection doing the YouTube thing, end up getting asked eventually, or in some places admonished by people who think that it is wrong for us to keep these animals like this. And in some cases, they can be rather nasty and militant, and in other cases, it's it's just people that don't understand how tarantulas work and how they would live in the wild. So what I want to what I want to do here is kind of break down what are the two types of people you're going to get. There's two basic types of people you're going to get that ask this question, and how you can kind of answer and explain why we keep them, why we keep them the way we do, and kind of dispel some of the misconceptions people have surrounding them because again I've alluded to this before when talking about pets that it's a lot different type of animal when you're keeping a tarantula than a vertebrate than like your typical dog or cat which you know needs exercise and needs to run and and needs to be fed daily and all needs a lot of them need attention these are different they're a very different category of animals they're exotic pets and I would say even a step away from some snakes, because I've kept snakes before that ones would come right out and use me as like a jungle gym, and they seemed to actually enjoy. I don't think they liked me personally, but they liked what I was able to offer as far as you know movement and whatnot, and they did like to get out and about. I, I think these are even a step down from them as far as how much attention they truly require. So let's take a minute to go over what, you know, some of the things we could say to somebody when they come up with that argument, because I know it happens when it happens. Sometimes you're taken off guard. You're not ready to explain it. And I think it is important that in the cases where it's somebody that does have an open mind, we are able to kind of explain to them where they might be thinking a little bit wrong and explain how these animals really work. So, yes, I've been asked this many times before, and I actually recently got one, which unfortunately the person must have deleted because I just went back to read the actual quote. But it is not there, and I did my go back and forth with them for a little bit, and maybe I convinced them. I don't know. I'm hoping I did. But basically, it was along the lines of why do you keep these things in these little jars? They should be out in the wild. You should take them out and let them go. Well, first of all, I live in New England, where if I drop these guys out and about, they don't belong here. It would be an invasive species until winter came and killed them off. So that doesn't make much sense to me at all. But again, I think sometimes with animals, people think more with their hearts and their heads, which is unfortunate because sometimes we need a little logic in the situation. But uh, this is something I've been asked before, but I will say not very often, and I am part of a tarantula YouTube group, and a lot of folks get hammered with this one quite a bit. And what will usually happen is somebody will go around and basically make the rounds on all the tarantula YouTubers they can find and post the same thing. And in some cases, I think there's legitimate concern. In some cases, I think they're just being nasty little dirty trolls. Anyway, it, it happens quite a bit. So uh, to start talking about the, the topic, we need to identify the two types of people that are usually approaching you. The first is honestly the well-meaning but ill-informed sort. These are the people that aren't necessarily looking for a confrontation, but they really don't get tarantulas or what they need. They don't know very much about the animals. They're asking the question out of pure curiosity. And this contingent can be quite reasonable, especially after being calmly and politely introduced to the facts. So you got to try to 
assume that this person has their heart in the right place and that they are actually looking for some guidance and to be educated. That's the best way to approach it. You, you'll find out soon enough whether or not that's actually the case. So a lot of these guys that I've had discussions with actually are just unaware how tarantulas live in the wild. And many of them will leave the conversations with a better appreciation of the hobby, which is good because you want we want to portray the hobby in a positive light. I really hope someday we will have general acceptance in, you know, as far as with other people at large and the world at large because we are looked at, and I've mentioned this many, many times, as weirdos. I think even people that keep snakes get less stares than we do because we're keeping a bunch of spiders. People just don't get it. And a lot of it is due to the fact that they're ignorant, that there are different colors, that there are different species, there are different types. They don't understand. They don't see what we see. So part of our jobs is, uh, is mature and hopefully uh, – productive hobbyist is to try to convince people when we can that this isn't a weird thing that if they look a little more closely and listen to us they might find it fascinating too so when you find this type of person it's kind of our job to educate them and try to fill them in a polite manner don't speak down to them don't you idiot they don't live like that we need to kind of hold our cool and deal with it correctly and teach them And then there's the other type, which is the ill-informed, closed-minded, militant animal rights sort who will not listen to reason. Now, I don't want this to turn into something bashing animal rights groups. When I posted this last article, it was really unfortunate because some people immediately brought it to an attack on PETA. And that's not what this is supposed to be about. There are good people out there in PETA. There are bad people out there in PETA. I have issues with PETA over the dog situation, some things that were said about pit bulls years ago. But I know there's some people with their hearts in the right place. Let's not let that turn into this because I know I lost some hobby friends on this one because apparently there were members of PETA and I kind of joined in with some of my experiences on them and kind of drove some people away. And that's not what this is about. This isn't about driving people away. It's about bringing people together. So let's, if we have a discussion about this, let's do so maturely. But the closed-minded militant types are the folks that even after being schooled on the facts and realities of a tarantula's life in the wild and the hobby continue to view keepers as imprisoners and torturers of animals who basically deprive spiders of their freedom for our own sick pleasures. And that's literally, I've had that said to me, that you're doing this just for your own sick pleasure to keep these guys you know, captive. So these are the types of people that you are not going to be able to reach. They are closed-minded. They don't care what you have to say. These are the ones that will tell you to take them outside and drop them off. Like, that's going to be so much better. I'm going to go out in the in the woods over here in New England and drop off a bunch of tarantulas. That'll be great. My neighbors who like to kill everything will probably shoot them. So doesn't make much sense. So you're not dealing with somebody who's going to approach this logically. Uh, they are going to approach it with their heart, and they are probably going to be very nasty. It's going to be with a dark heart. We'll go with that one. These are the, only, I, I, the only people I've ever had issues with are the ones like this that just dig in and will not listen to reason. So when you get this type of individual, whether you're talking to them at work, whether you're talking to them online, the Facebook group, whether you have YouTube videos and they're in your comments, your best bet is to politely say your piece and when they come back with their garbage, walk away. That's it. There's nothing to be gained, unfortunately, in this situation. You will not get satisfaction. Trust me, I've gone back and forth with one before who was basically going to take what she saw as her imprisoned, it was B. Smithy at the time, B. Hammeri now, and drop it off in the middle of the Californian desert because she felt so bad about keeping it captive. And as I tried to explain to her, that's terrible. You're dropping off a species that doesn't belong there. It's going to die. She didn't want to hear anything of it and then told me I should take all of mine. At this point, I think I had probably 70 or so and drop them off in appropriate places around the country so that they can live out their lives not in captivity. So the question remains, what do you say to someone 
who asked this question, who asked why you're keeping them like this, who asked why you're keeping them in a small plastic container, why don't they have their whole living room to run around in. It's important for tarantula hobbyists to consider that there is an obvious distinction to be made between domestic pets, which most people are used to, specifically ones conditioned to be kept as companions, and exotic pets. Dogs, cats, ferrets, hamsters, gerbils, other animals, all the furry ones have been bred by humans for years to be pets. And these are your standard everyday pets that most folks find to be quote-unquote normal companion animals. And these guys have been tamed down by humans and seem to readily accept or enjoy handling and interaction. And as a result, people are much more familiar with these animals. However, exotic pets, the word exotic means wild animals. They're, these are the, the reptiles and the arachnids and the insects and the things that we keep that honestly can't be tamed down as much as we'd like to pretend and as much as we maybe would wish. These are animals that are sometimes picked directly from the wild and sold into the pet trade, which I'm not okay with, let's make that clear, and they have not been bred to accept human contact as normal, nor are they hardwired to recognize humans as friendly. I try to explain this when people talk about tarantulas and why I don't pick them up and hold them, and I've actually had several people ask me why I don't cuddle them, and I thought it was a joke, and they were serious. But it's because they don't benefit, and that's not something they would benefit from in the wild. In the wild, if you watch the videos on YouTube, they pop up all the time for me. Unfortunately, I don't know what the heck I hit, but it's all the people picking, uh, hunting the tarantulas, getting them out of their burrows, and then basically cooking them and eating them. That's It doesn't behoove them in the wild to let humans pick them up because that usually means they're going to be made a meal out of or killed. In some places, they're just flat out killed. Um, Mexico was a big problem. They were scared of them. Some people were scared of them down there, so they were like burning every one of them they could find. Um, that's what they are accustomed to in the wild. So they don't normally recognize a human as something that's good. Now, can they be conditioned after a while? That's another debate, and that goes into the handling. And again, I'm not dead set against handling. I'm not going to get into that issue right now, perhaps some other time. But it is important to recognize that they do not want us to cuddle. So the, unfortunately, the majority of people you encounter are going to be much more familiar with the husbandry of our domestic pets. And when they think of a pet, they're going to think of an animal needing constant feeding, watering, exercise, and in many cases, human love. I have a dog sitting here right on my lap right now that really wants me to pet him, even though I'm trying to do this podcast. So that's what they are used to. So it, when they look at us keeping spiders, it's very confusing to understand why we are keeping something that doesn't need these. Or in some cases, they don't understand it doesn't need these. They look at our ho- hobby and our husbandry tech techniques and they're looking through it at it through an inappropriate lens and this can kind of taint the way they see things and, and portray us in a very negative light so folks will think of the relationships we have with our dogs and cats and other furry animals and they will try to apply that to tarantulas and it's just not a good fit reptiles insects arachnids a different type of pet all together and their needs are often much much different And some of the conditions that these animals thrive in just seem downright odd or wrong to people who are not familiar with their needs. So again, this is why it comes down to education, being able to calmly discuss what these animals actually need and what would be detrimental to them. So for example, they need to feel secure. What would be detrimental? Taking my Chilean rose out, letting it walk around my carpet and run free in my living room. That would be a bad situation. It doesn't need that exercise. So you need to kind of pose it in that type of light so that they can see the contrast between the two. And then there's obviously the fact that people can't get by the wild animal part of it. After all, why would anyone want to take a wild animal, put it in the tank, and call it a pet. That doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And I, and I can kind of get that to a point. Because when we say pets, we're thinking of something we can cuddle with. And when we talk about tarantulas, we're generally not talking about something we want to cuddle with. Although I'm thinking of my Nandu Trepepi, who is absolutely adorable and gorgeous, and I would like to hug her, but she'd probably bite my face. 
So, for example, dogs and cats recognize their humans provide them with food, security, affection, so you become a major part of their lives. They recognize, even cats can be a little squirrely sometimes, and you know they want to be pet when they want to be pet, but they recognize what we provide them, and some of their natural instincts, like the urge to flee or bite, have been softened and eliminated by years of captive breeding. They have spent centuries with us, thousands of years, I think, in the case of dogs and cats, most cats and dogs appreciate physical affection, some form or another, from their owners and will purr or wag their tails contentedly during a petting, showing affection back. And this is a relationship that we're used to seeing. These are obviously traits you wouldn't expect from a ball python or your tarantula. Although these two animals will tolerate handling, they're certainly not creatures that you would describe as cuddly. They also don't require human contact to thrive, unlike a dog or a cat. And I want to pause on that one for a minute because this has become kind of a huge one lately for me. And granted, people have, this hasn't been the militant sort, but it's the well-meaning sort that are really confused why I'm not giving my tarantulas more hands-on attention. And it's because they don't require it, and there is there are arguments that they absolutely don't benefit from it. But in the very least, they don't require it. And I have people that get very, very confused and, and a trifle upset when I tell them I don't pick up my tarantulas. They're like, well, they need love. They need affection. No, they don't. And that I'm going to throw out there. I don't care if you've got one that's, you know, I've got a little euathless species red that will climb right out into my hand when I open it up. But I'm not going to kid myself and think, and she's like, oh, there's Tom. I want to go give him a big hug with my legs. It's got nothing to do with that. She's exploring. So I think that needs to be made very, very clear that these are not, and again, this usually comes from well-meaning folks that love all animals. These are not animals that demand or need affection. That's an important designation to make. That's something you can say right off the bat. If people try to argue it, no, I'm sorry, that's not the case. So another big distinction between the normal domestic animals and tarantulas and such is can be found in the husbandry requirements. For our standard mammal pets, they require room to exercise, water available at all times, food at least once a day, opportunities to run and play are crucial. Unfortunately, none of these can be considered needs for a tarantula, and that can confuse people. Comparing these two types of pets is often very silly and in some instances can be dangerous. And in some cases, making this comparison or trying to treat a tarantula as you would another species could actually be deadly. So, for example, a big issue I run into when people first get into tarantulas, if they don't get good husbandry information and do their homework first, is I'll go, hey, Tom, I got my Chilean rose here. She's curled up in the corner. I, I'm, I'm not sure if she's in a, a death curl or not. She just seems very scared and stressed. I don't know what's going on with her. I've dropped five crickets in uh, two days ago, and I dropped another four crickets in yesterday, and I have to go, okay, stop. A, you only need to feed the poor girl once a week. It's not like a dog or a cat. She doesn't need to be fed constantly, and that could be part of what you're seeing. That could be part of the problem. And B, you don't want to overload them with dropping a million things in, you know, drop one in, drop two in. But they're thinking of feeding your dog. Like when I feed my dog, I don't drop one biscuit down the ground, and that's it for the week. I feed it a good quantity of food, and I feed it every day. So a lot of people will come in with that idea, and it may seem silly to us because we're used to it, but to other people, it blows their mind. When I tell people that I feed my tarantulas once a week, sometimes twice a month for some of the big ones that don't need to eat as often, they are absolutely blown away. They don't understand. How do they live like that? Don't they starve? Don't they get skinny? And I have to explain, no, their metabolisms are different. There's, they don't, they conserve energy. They don't move around a lot. There's a lot of differences between those and like your dog. So it's very important to consider that when people, when we're having this argument or discussion with people, 
because it can be very difficult for people to grasp. Um, a good place to start, and a lot of people use this one, is comparing tarantulas to exotic fish because a lot of people are used to keeping fish. And when you tell them, oh, do you pick your fish up and do you cuddle it and do you hold it, they'll look at you like you're crazy. So then you go, good, excellent. Take that and apply it toward tarantulas. It's the same basic thing for a lot of us. Well, I'm not going to go take my P. murinus and hug it and squeeze it and give it love. No, it's, it's something I love. She is beautiful. I try to take great care of her, but she is a hands-off pet. So that's something you can also do as far as to help explain to people is bring up the fish because that one seems to work quite a bit. So the other thing is when people talk about exercising them or letting them free, talk about the fact that, well, you wouldn't take your goldfish and dump them in a local pond. That's not something you would do. And it's the same thing with the tarantulas. You don't take them and just dump them out anyway. They need to know that these animals are exotic and come from many exotic locales, Asia, Africa, Philippines, all over the place. And to dump them out in your local habitat would be incredibly irresponsible, illegal, and would end up most likely with dead tarantulas. So not cool. So that needs to be explained. So some of the more common issues that folks uh, take umbrage at in our hobby are the size of our enclosures. That comes up quite a bit. And you'll get people that will say comments like, well, you wouldn't keep your dog in a crate all day, would you? And they think it's terrible that our tarantulas have to suffer in these little plastic cages with no room to move. And I'm sure people out there, that are, hopefully some people out there that listen to this that have YouTube channels or have been online before have seen this argument pop up. It's This is the tricky one. This is the one that's tough to explain. Um Keeping, yes, keeping a dog and a cat in a tiny room for its entire life absolutely would be cruel. But that's because these animals need exercise much like we need exercise. If I sit my fat butt all day long doing these podcasts and videos and don't go on our walk, Billy, and I walk like three and a half to four and a half miles a day, um, that was to counteract some rather heavy beer drinking I did once upon a time and uh, put on some weight, but we want to get back into um, normal, not so fluffy shape. So we started walking. We need exercise to be healthy. If I sit here doing this all day long, playing video games and not moving, I'm going to develop a myriad of health conditions. So we need to move. Some animals need exercise. That's why we have the exercise wheels for gerbils and hamsters. That's why we take our dogs and cats, let our cats roam around. We take our dogs out for a walk. These are all things that they require, require to be healthy. And again, a distinction needs to be made with between what animals need and what some animals don't need. So unfortunately, people will see the photos of the videos of deli cups and tanks and immediately and wrongly think of their cat and dog being in the same situation, and it's horrifying to them. They can't understand how an animal could be content and healthy in a smaller environment. I've heard of our enclosures referred to as prisons and cells by concerned animal lovers, and in fact, the size of our enclosures seem to be the main area of contention in these discussions. However, wild tarantulas have very, very different needs than cats or dogs, and comparing these animals just doesn't work for a variety of reasons. First, it's important to consider that many tarantulas use burrows in the wild and spend the majority of their time in these homes because they offer refuge from predators and the elements, and they will basically hide in these during bitter cold, flooding, and drought, and many species will remain in these in or around these burrows for the majority of their lives, with others rarely leaving their burrows even at night. 
They're not animals that need or want to roam huge territories to hunt. We're not looking at lions here. Most will stick to a small area and grab prey that comes to them. Being visible and out in the open just makes them an easier target for predators. So in captivity, they're enclosures for many of these species. And again, I'm not talking about putting things in horribly cramped spaces. I'm not saying you can't give a tarantula. We've gone over this before, and I'm hoping to cover this again. A buddy of mine, we're going to go over the more naturalistic and bioactive enclosures. And a lot of those, you give them some extra room to move. That's not bad. But when you put them in a smaller enclosure, those Those homes basically provide that sense of safety and security, which would be provided in the wild by a burrow. And this is often evidenced behaviorally by a much calmer and less defensive tarantula. A well-set-up cage supplies all the amenities a burrow does, including security from predators and the elements. In captivity, settled tarantulas will make their enclosure their own by burrowing, webbing, and arranging things to their liking. And those who have been in the hobby for a while can tell you that even the most defensive species will act quite calm when given an appropriate enclosure. And calmness is one of our indicators of contentedness because these guys, as we've mentioned time and time again, are not particularly expressive. They're not going to wag tails. They're not going to look sad. They're basically going to look like spiders until something's wrong. So the reality is, unlike other animals, tarantulas require a very small amount of real estate to thrive. But then the question inevitably comes up, but then why are they venturing out when in captivity? Why leave the security of a burrow and risk predation or exposure? If your tarantula needs a burrow, why does it come out to roam at night? In most cases, it's looking for food. They will parade out. I come down to my room sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning and I'll get up in the morning and check with a flashlight and, and see what people are doing. And the majority of my guys are out because they're expecting food. That's their hunting time for the nocturnal ones. So although spiders will hide in their burrows 24-7 waiting to prey to come by so they can ambush it, others will venture out at night and they'll roam around a bit to try to find a, a meal. And obviously this is purely instinctual behavior and something they would need to do in the wild in order to eat. They have not been kept long enough in captivity to be domesticated by human, nor is domestication realistic, and they don't understand food will be dropped into their cages periodically, negating the need to hunt. In the wild, environmental conditions also often lead to periods of food scarcity, so a tarantula needs to eat when it can. A captive tarantula that is recently eaten will still leave its home at night. It doesn't realize there's food coming again in a couple days. It thinks it needs to hunt. So this is just natural wild activity that we're seeing here. It's not so much they're coming out because they don't like their burrows or they're discontent. They're coming out because they are programmed to hunt and grab food while it's available. And if they're hiding in their burrow, they might not get the food. So then we get past that, and then we get the question of, but how can living in that tiny cage be healthy? They need exercise, and they need to run. That is not true. When tarantulas explore their enclosures, they're not heading for a walkabout, the stretch their legs, or run and put in the miles, or do some stairs, or whatever. It's not about getting exercise. We've already established they're coming out to find food. But unfortunately, people think of our mammalian animals And it tends to lead them to project it onto our spiders. So they think, all right, my dog needs a walk. The tarantula obviously needs a walk. If it's only in an enclosure two feet by a foot, that is not enough space for it to get its exercise. But again, they don't need exercise. They don't race around for fun. They don't need to move their muscles to keep their hearts toned or their hearts, uh, their muscles toned or their hearts prime. There's been no scientific or even anecdotal evidence of them needing any of these things. At most, they may busy themselves with rearranging and remodeling their enclosures by webbing and digging, and that's them more altering their environments to their liking, not getting exercise. It's not like they're sitting there bored going, hey, you know what, I think I'll clean up the house. 
and mature males, we should point that out, will often wander around, but they're looking for females to mate with. That's about it. The fact is, tarantulas, most of them are ambush hunters. They are masters at conserving their energy for when they really need it. Their book lungs function in a way that they are not capable of long marathon runs or extended periods of physical activity. So they can't, they're, they're sprinters, not distance runners. And they definitely don't require physical activity or exercise to stay in peak shape or maintain their health. I have a Jeep or Terry, for crying out loud, that never moves. I have several tarantulas that never move. They just sit there stationary. Sometimes you have to kind of go in and almost blow on them a little bit to make sure they're alive. But their speed is usually meant to come in short, quick bursts, and it's meant for catching prey or eluding predators. Anyone who's seen a seemingly calm tarantula bolt can appreciate their almost supernatural ability to go from sedentary to hyperspeed in a split uh, second. But those bursts come with a cost, namely no endurance. So in the wild, they are not running around. They are not exercising. If they are using energy, it is to hunt most of the time. And then in scary instances, to avoid predators. That's about it. They don't need free space to run and exercise. You can give them space. And a lot of us do give them extra space. And that is awesome. We can we can create as long as they're safe environments, large natural environments for them. But it's important to understand that the the jury's still out whether or not they would actually require this extra space. I think we can give it to them, but many of them, I have a lot of species that I'm almost like right now, I would like treehouse, but you can tell that the tarantula is comfortable in its environment and I'd be upset in it. So I kind of hold back a little bit. So that's something to keep in mind when we're explaining this to people that we're basically simulating something they would have in the wild. Our houses are the jungles. Their containers and enclosures are their secure burrows. And again, I have to point out that if your tarantula is seemingly calm when you open up the burrow or it calmly retreats to its, uh, when you open up, sorry, the enclosure and it calmly retreats to its burrow when you disturb it, that's a tarantula that's pretty settled in. That's a good shape. If you see your tarantula, if you drop it in a huge enclosure and it's cowering in a corner, all its legs, knees tucked up over its eyes, that is a stress tarantula. It's overwhelmed. It hasn't found its spot yet. And... For those of us who do give them a lot of room, you will sometimes find that they will find one spot that they like. They will dig their little burrow or they will take the adapt to their little hidey hole, whatever you give them, the cork bark or whatever. And they don't roam very far from that. I, I always talk about my pantanist female that I gave her a big enclosure with a lot of floor space. And she has a big piece of cork bark that she hides under. And unfortunately, she rarely ventures out from that cork bark. I actually had to move her water dish closer because I know she wasn't really even going out to the water dish. I put it closer to her so she'd get it. So she doesn't move very much. And in the wild, she would probably be in a burrow and move maybe a foot or so from the burrow. And that's about it. So do they should they be given room to stretch and explore? Of course. And people... Most keepers give their tarantulas extra room should they want to go out and move around a bit. But it's important to keep in mind that their wandering tendencies in the wild are for procurement of food or for mating purposes. With their keeper dropping in prey items regularly, these instincts remain intact but prove unnecessary. So then we usually get the, but if they're truly happy in their enclosures, why do some flee when we open them? After all, if she's so comfortable and your animal is happy here, why does it have to run away when you open it? It's obviously trying to escape. So this is a tough one, but imagine, if you will, you're sitting at home one night watching TV, whatever your favorite show is, you're playing a video game, and suddenly an enormous creature comes, tears the roof off your home, and starts fiddling with your living room furniture. Comes in with these giant tongs, moves a chair, goes to your refrigerator, dumps it out, puts some new stuff in it. What would you do? I'm guessing most of us wouldn't just sit there and wait to see what this thing was going to do. 
I think most of us would probably run. It's a pretty universal and natural reaction. So now think your tarantula. When you open your tarantula's enclosure to feed or water it, you may have nothing but good intentions in mind. You're just caring for it. You're doing what's natural. You're making sure it's got what it needs. The tarantula, however, doesn't always know this. And for your animal, this can be as shocking as someone tearing off the roof of your home. In the wild, this would represent a serious threat, and the spider would most likely be in imminent danger. It may become defensive, anticipating an attack by a large predator, or it may flee and try to find safety. This isn't a creature running away from its enclosure because it's a prisoner. It's running because it's scared. This is what where people get confused sometimes, and this is where if you have a good setup, you will know because you, they will usually bolt to the security of their burrows or their hides, or in the case of arboreals, they will hide behind their cork bark, or in the case of Pisolotheria, they will flatten themselves out, try to use their natural camouflage to blend in. They are not trying to bolt like, hey, I'm getting out of here, I want to live in this house. They are scared. So that's important to note. And that's why, again, this would be another good case for giving tarantulas a little bit of extra room in their enclosures. We talk a lot about P. murinus or the OBT and how bad they can be. People basically brand them as evil and nasty and defensive. But I talked to a buddy of mine, Tim, who keeps them, and we both kind of agree that if you give them, the majority of them, if you give them extra room, some depth to their enclosures, let them web up and give them a place to retreat to, a lot of them, if you bump the cage, will choose to retreat First, a lot of times you see the angry OBTs, and obviously I know people out there are sitting there going, wait a minute, mine's got plenty of rum and it's nasty. There are nasty ones out there. I totally get that. But I have seen that cases where people keep them in little flat terrestrial enclosures, and when they pull the tops off, it rips up a bunch of webbing, and the OBT immediately goes into defense mode. Giving them extra space for a lot of these guys will help negate the, the chances of that happening. It will give them a little more room, give them time to react. And instead of bolting or standing their ground, or bolting out of the enclosure, or standing their ground and going at you, they can get to safety of their dens and run and hide. So another thing we get quite a bit of is, and I've gotten this one, this is a tough one. Um, a lot of people will call it, well, you know what, instead of keeping these guys in your collection, they would be better off in their natural habitat than in your house in a bunch of bottles. And first off, let me be very clear that I'm not a proponent of pulling tarantulas from the wild for the pet trade. I believe the goal should always be, and I mention this a lot, to use any wild-caught specimens to create a captive-bred population that can sustain itself because then we can just breed them in our own collections and let the wild ones be wild ones. And I think I speak for most hobbyists when I say I would love nothing more than to have these wonderful creatures, these amazing animals, thriving in their natural habitats. One of my favorite things to do is watch videos or film of people finding tarantulas in the wild. We obviously don't have them where I am, so it just blows my mind that you could walk out and see any alveolosopes in a tree. That's, that's amazing to me. So I love seeing that. I love seeing them in the natural habitat because it also means that place probably hasn't been completely decimated by human population, which makes me sad. However, when folks try to insinuate that captive tarantulas' lives are terrible when compared to their lives in the wild, I have to kind of roll my eyes a bit. For the sake of an argument, let's consider the challenges free tarantulas have to face. There are a myriad of them. So a wild tarantula must find or construct a burrow, must deal with floods and drought, must endure temperature fluctuations, including blistering heat and sometimes brutal cold, must constantly hunt for its food, can get parasites, in many cases faces habitat destruction, and must avoid predators, including, yep, you and I, humans. 
So again, I'm in no way, shape, or form arguing we should pluck them out of the wild. This is just the reality of the way things are right now. Tarantulas in the wild face a very tough existence in their natural habitats, as evidenced by the fact that many are now identified as endangered. Tarantulas hail from some of the most inhospitable places on Earth, and very few make it to adulthood. And it's because of what they go through. It's a difficult life for them. And again, I just have to point out like this freaking video with these people eating... I can't remember what species, some Thailand species, I think, and watching how many of them they pull out of the wild. This woman sells plates of these a week of stacked up high. has to be over 100 tarantulas at least. That's got to be hurting the population. And they're going out hunting them, selling them, and eating them, which for them, it's a food source. I get it, but it is going to deplete the natural population of them. So now that we've established what they go through in the wild, let's take a moment to talk about what captive tarantulas endure. All right, you ready? A captive tarantula must endure... Occasional disruptions to the burrow for cleaning purposes. We have to open it up, clean things out. Annoying owners snapping photos and video of them. That, that's, that's a rough one. Periodic rehousings. Yeah, well, well your, your house is getting a little small, so we're going to upgrade you. A climate-controlled environment. Food provided regularly. Fresh water available at all times. You better be giving yours fresh water. And a safe home free from predators. That's it. That's, 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 a, that's a rough life. And I've had people actually argue this with me, so I probably shouldn't make fun. But in all seriousness, tarantulas enjoy a much less stressful and dangerous life with a responsible and informed keeper. Let's make that very clear. I'm not talking about the kid that's keeping one in a tiny shoebox under his bed so his parents don't find out. They, they enjoy a much better life overall than they would get in the wild. I would, again, would love to have these guys be in the wild. I'd love to have all of them have healthy populations, but it's just not the case. Here, they have safety from predators, weather, adequate meals provided regularly, clean water at all times, constant and favorable temperatures all year round. If kept correctly, they have the ideal conditions in which to prosper. So let's not lose sight of that. In the wild, there's so much more they have to deal with. So again, to make it clear, don't want to be misquoted. I don't want them plucked out of the wild. But we have to admit that if kept correctly by responsible keepers, they have it made in captivity. And then next up, we have the argument, which I get. I, I honestly do get it. They'll say, bottom line then, you've, you've told me they're wild animals. Then wild animals shouldn't be kept as pets. And this is a tough one because this is kind of a draw the line in the sand. This is right. This is wrong. It's black or white. Um, I, I kind of always consider this to be a weak argument, but I'll address it anyway. Every animal currently be, being kept by man as a pet was at one point a wild animal. Somewhere long ago, a person saw a gerbil and said, wow, that crazy little desert rat would make a beautiful pet, and I'm going to grab one of those for my son. Now, every pet has to start somewhere, and that often involves some of them being harvested from the wild. Tarantulas, unfortunately, are still a relatively new pet when compared to other animals commonly kept, so we're still at a point where wild-caught specimens do come into the hobby. And again, local populations being depleted for the pet trade is a horrible thing, and I don't think anybody in the hobby would argue before that or try to defend it. However, many of the species now currently available are being bred and offered as captive bred slings. I just did a big thing about how we're getting all our captive bred slings in the United States from Europe. It's because people over there are getting them from the wild, but then using them to create captive bred populations, which is fantastic. So the vast majority of keepers try to avoid wild-caught specimens instead by spiders producing captivity, and we've already, over the years, started noticing that some of them have become uh, more adaptable to conditions in captivity. These are incredibly adaptable animals. They've survived millions of years, so it would make sense that if we keep them long enough in captivity, they will start changing to adapt even better to it. But that's for another discussion. So, obviously, tarantulas will never 
be as domesticated as dogs or cats, and some have more uh, complicated husbandry issues than others, but given the correct conditions, they do great as pets. They aren't lions or tigers or orcas suffering in captivity. They are arachnid animals that have survived millions of years due to their ability to adapt and live in almost any environment. And furthermore, critically endangered species like Pistillotheria hanimavelisamica and Metallica are currently thriving in the hobby, even as their numbers and habitats continue to dwindle in the hobby. In the not-so-distant future, it's conceivable that many species of tarantulas may exist only in collections. And that's not a joke, and it's sad to think about. But it would be a terrible tragedy to know that keepers can breed these animals and keep them alive so people can see what these would look like. Imagine no more P. metallicas anywhere. That's, That's horrifying. So it's important to think that some of our... Efforts with breeding are keeping these species alive on Earth. And I, again, I point out to people will say, well, why don't you breed them and let them go into the wild? It doesn't work that way. I know there was a big hoopla a few years back as somebody was breeding species of a fauna pelma and was going to put them in the wild. And there were some huge issues surrounding why they shouldn't be dropped back out there. But it is nice to know that these animals will be around for years to come because we will have them in our collections. And I also think it's important to mention that hobbyists, most hobbyists at least, truly love these animals. Why else would anybody choose to keep a creature that 99% of the people out there abhor? Many enthusiasts are very familiar with these creatures' natural habitats and their inclusion on the protected and endangered species list. And they don't want their animals to do well in private collections, but in their natural habitats as well. The latest conservation efforts and data are always shared through message boards and social media, and many keepers pride themselves on keeping up on this information. Overall, many of us are very informed, and we try to keep track of this stuff, so we know what the state of these guys are in the wild, and we know that in some cases, we may be sitting on the only living specimens of them in years to come. So, bottom line is, the truth is you may not be able to convince everyone that there is no harm in keeping these animals. I've run into several instances where no matter what I said did not seem to budge the judgment of the person that I was kind of having the debate with. I've had, sadly, I've had instances of people just tell me I'm a loser and I'm torturing animals, which kills me because I absolutely love animals. But... That's on them, not us. I think the trick is for us as a hobby to identify those people that can be taught. And again, this is always what this Tom Big Spider stuff and everything is about is educating. That's it's, I enjoy doing it and I found that instead of yelling at somebody or calling them an idiot, trying to sit down and reason with them as difficult as it may be and try to get some of this information to them is much more important than being quote-unquote right in an argument. The idea is to try to explain to them that the way you see things is not correct. We have more experience in this area. We're not pulling, you know... We're not just ignoring terrible issues so that we can continue to keep these creatures. Not at all. We understand them. We know a lot about them. A lot of us become very knowledgeable about tarantulas, their anatomy, where they live and whatnot. And we need to spread some of that. Now, the last time I, when I posted originally the article that this one's based off of, one of the things that came up, which I thought was actually a really good point that I did not address in the original article was the fact that, unfortunately, I the people I tend to interact with are ones that are out there looking for good information and have good information and know how to keep these creatures and, and take pride in their husbandry and take pride in keeping them well. Unfortunately, there are a lot of keepers out there that don't. And I had a discussion with somebody who brought up the fact that, yes, we see people on YouTube and whatnot that this is more exemplary examples 
that's redundant, of people who know how to do the hobby well and keep these animals well. But for every one of those, there are several kids and, and adults that just have these animals languishing away in these terribly dirty, inappropriate enclosures. And that's important to consider too. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy when you see some of the stuff that's put online and some of the things, ways that people keep these and some of the ways people treat them. You know, kids running around, giggling, laughing, chasing OBTs around their rooms or poking them with brushes to make them strike or people that just have deplorable conditions and they're putting baseballs and transformers and all kinds of crap in the enclosure and it hasn't been cleaned. We need to make sure we police ourselves and make sure that people in the hobby are taking care of these creatures correctly. So that is a, a very, very good point that sometimes what people see isn't aren't the good YouTube keepers that know what they're doing, that are taking proper care of these, but they see the examples of people that don't know how to take care of them and don't set good examples. I know it wasn't that long ago I went to a local pet store where they'll actually board animals for a while. They'll take care of them if you're going on vacation or whatnot. And somebody had dropped off their G. Rosea. And, oh my lord, this poor thing was in a big exoterra with wood chips covered. It was just like toys in it. There was crap all over the enclosure. It was climbing up the wall, which it was way too high compared to the level of substrate. This is what some people see and causes them to have these negative reactions to the hobby. They see this and go, really? How is that good for the animal? And they're right. In that instance, they're absolutely right. So I do think it's important for us as a hobbyist to maintain a high standard of care for our animals, to help out, we'll say, when we see other people that aren't taking care of them correctly. And that means, again, the idea is to educate, not to admonish, not to yell at, not to browbeat, not to make feel stupid. But when you see somebody that isn't keeping something correctly, I will. a lot of times people will ask me questions online or YouTube and say, hey, can you tell me what's wrong with my spider? And I'll go, hey, can you do me a favor and just send me a couple pictures of the setup? And sometimes the setup's fantastic. I got one today, a Vicularia species. A woman had a beautiful setup for it. I had another one of Vicularia species. It was in a, a short Tupperware bin all cowered up in the corner with, I don't even know what the substrate was. So that was an instance where I kind of had to go, okay, well, let's start with how you're keeping it. But you do so politely. I'm not judging them. They didn't get good information. They didn't probably didn't do their homework like they should have. But sitting there going, you kidding me? That's how you're keeping it? You're an idiot. What are you thinking about? Go out, do some research. Hop on a racket board. Use a search function. That does nothing. That does nothing but drive people away. So again, I think the point of this is, when somebody comes at you with this argument, be informed, be ready to intelligently debate them and hopefully inform and educate them on it. And then as a goal, when we see other keepers in the hobby that aren't keeping the standard of care that we know they should be keeping, let's politely try to get them to change that. It doesn't take much. This is not an expensive hobby. It doesn't mean going out and buying you know, a $100 enclosure or whatnot. But let's try to help them out so that we set a good example for others so that we get less of these questions overall. They're still going to come, and I'm sure I will get one again in the immediate future. They seem to come every once in a while, but I try to use them as instances where I can educate and I think that's how we should approach this one all right so that will do it for this one I'm glad my voice held out because it's starting to go and I have literally oh god about three quarters of a cup of coffee in front of me that I'm dying to drink but I can't really sip while I'm doing this so we're gonna call this one a wrap so I can finish my darn coffee and then I got a bunch of rehousings to do and spiders to feed and I forgot to order crickets so uh oh it looks like I'm breaking out the roaches so again if you'd like to comment I always throw these up on Facebook it's a good place to comment and again I appreciate everybody's comments and I apologize if I'm behind on responding 
I'm getting slammed. I think it's that time of the year where it's getting warm. Everybody's buying tarantulas, so I'm getting the emails, the comments, and I'm trying desperately to keep on top of them, but it gets difficult sometimes. So please know I do read everything. A lot of times I'm at work and I'm reading Facebook on my phone, but I don't have an opportunity to respond right away and I forget. So I do appreciate the comments. And again, if you want to check out my website, it's tomsbigspiders.com or check me out on YouTube. I have videos there which are more educational than entertaining, although I guess some people find them entertaining. And uh, again, you can always leave comments there. So once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great, uh, I guess, Sunday. Back to school on Monday, and we'll see you guys next week. Actually, you guys will hear me next week. I won't see anybody.